Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people that know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you enjoy the following message. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 42 here in just a moment. Acts chapter 2. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you uh, this morning to say that you're a good Father. You're a good Father and you know exactly what we need. Each and every moment, each and every breath, you know what we personally need in these moments. You know what we as a church need in these moments. But God, you not only know what we need, but you also provide it. And so we thank you, God, for the gift of salvation through your Son. We thank you for the Spirit of God that is within us as believers. And God, I come before you this morning and I ask that you would help us to see Scripture this morning as it teaches us. Open our ears and our hearts to hear. But God, help us to not just be hearers of the Word only this morning, but be doers of the word. God, may we be a church that desires to know, serve, and share you. And so God, I pray that we would come before you humbly in your word this morning. Teach us, instruct us, and help us to obey by your spirit. And it's in your wonderful name we pray these things. Amen. Well, a few... uh, Weeks ago, we began a series called For the Church. And this is a series, as most of you know and are aware, that basically it is looking within Scripture to see things that God has given us in His Word for the church. And so we began the series by talking about elders and pastors, how they're to shepherd the body of Christ. God has given this church and and churches, pastors and elders, to shepherd the body. Then the week after that, we also looked at another office within the church, and that is deacons. Deacons are called by Scripture to serve the people, to serve the body of Christ. And so you have elders and you have deacons, both of them very important within the body. Then the next week, we looked at us as a body. We looked at 1 Corinthians, where we talked about the body of Christ. Every single one of us linked together, just like a physical human body, working together to accomplish what God has called us. And if you remember, in that sermon, it was very important for us to understand that the Scripture teaches very clearly that it requires all of us. Total participation, all of us engaged, working together. Some of you are the hand, some of you are the eye, some of you are the foot, some of you are the arm. And all of us are linked together as a body for unity and for the purpose of accomplishing what God has called us to. This morning, as I said, we'll be in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And here's what I want to give us this morning. I want to talk about expressions of the church. Expressions of the church. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but um, do we have anybody in the crowd you'd just love to read? Anybody, any readers? 
And it doesn't even matter what. I'm not going to ask you. Just anybody love to read? Okay. How many of you can't stand reading? I'll include you. Any, anybody want to admit it? All right. Nobody admits it. Okay. We've got a few. All right. Um, well, I love to read. And one thing that I love to read, obviously, is I, I love to read books about church. Right? I love to read theology. I love to read commentary. I love to read books that help me grow as a leader, but also help me engage with the church and lead the church. I love church books, right? Not more than the Bible, but I love to read books about church and church life and being a, being a leader and a shepherd. Um, I have a lot of books within my office that talk about church growth. Quite a few of them. Some of them are, are very helpful. Some of them, quite honestly, um, I would say really don't help at all. Although they might be written by great authors and Christian authors that I admire and respect, some of them are not helpful at all. How many of you, by raising your hand, um, and this will tell us a lot here, so just go ahead and raise your hand whether you agree with the statement or not, okay? All right. How many of you want to be a part of a healthy, vibrant, growing church? Okay, yeah. All right. Okay. Um, I do too. So here's what I'm going to tell you this morning. Here's what I'm going to tell you. What we're going to see in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, will help us as a church be a vibrant, healthy, growing community of believers. I could, I could say it this way, honestly. Take every book that I have in my office about church growth. This should be what we focus on. This should be what we do. This should be the people that we are right here in Acts 2, 42 through 47. Now, I know you might, uh, you might say to me, well, yeah, but this is a different context. They're in a different context than we are in America. You're right. They, they are. They were. But it still doesn't negate what the Scripture teaches us. All Scripture is useful. All Scripture is God-breathed. All of it is useful for us, for teaching, reproof, rebuke, and correction. All of it. And so this instructs us. And so I want to look at expressions of the people of God. Let's read Acts 2, beginning in verse 42 together. The Scripture tells us, And they, the early believers, the early church, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Familiar passage, one that probably most of us in this room have read. But what I want you to see here are expressions of a healthy, vibrant, growing church. You can see in the text there, there's a lot of ands, right? And they devoted, and all came, and many wonders, and all who believed, 
and they were selling, and day by day, and breaking bread, and the Lord added. There's all of these ands. Luke had much to say about the expressions of a healthy church. And each of those ands adds another brushstroke to a beautiful picture of who the church is and what they were a part of. Now, this is only one picture. It's an ideal picture. But we must remember that this is not all that Luke says about the church. Throughout the book of Acts alone, he'll later be very candid about the problems the church faced. People lying in Acts 5. People complaining, Acts 6. People being presumptuous, Acts 8. People disagreeing, Acts 15. People debating, again in Acts 15. So there's no reason for us to think that Luke's trying to minimize the more messy aspects of church life. What he does do, though, is give us expressions of a church that is filled with the Spirit and embraces the gospel together. And the impact of it is great. Now, what I want us to focus on before we jump into the expressions, I want us, this is important for us to remember. The, the first thing that I want us to see is that we're dealing with Christ's Spirit indwelling the church. Everything to this point has been exalted Christ, has been the exalted Christ pouring out His Spirit. Now we're seeing the results of the Spirit at work. Okay? The Spirit indwells and creates this new people with new expressions. So the Spirit turned these idolatrous bunch of individuals living for self-glory into this true community, this true faith family of servant-hearted missionaries who live for Christ's glory. You know the story. Pentecost comes, and God the Spirit comes to indwell His people, and they start living together in ways that the world around them cannot explain. So as we go through these things today... Please don't forget this. This is very important. And if you want to write it on your Bible or write it in your notes, the Spirit of God produces the people of God. The Spirit of God produces the people of God. In other words, we can be a church and function as a church all we want, but if the Spirit of God is not within us, then we're not a church. The Spirit of God produces the people of God. And that's what we see here in Acts 2. So these expressions we're talking about today, these are impossible. These are absolutely impossible on our own. We cannot accomplish this. We cannot do these things apart from the Spirit within us and submitting to the Spirit within us and working these things through us. So Christ indwells, Christ's Spirit indwells the church. So here are the expressions that I want us to see. Number one, the church expresses devotion to the apostles' teaching. The church expresses devotion to the apostles' teaching. Look at your copy of Scripture. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, the devotion extends to everything in verse 42. The teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers, all of it is to be a constant in their attention. 
All of it is to be a, a, a part of who they are. In other words, if you want to put it within our context, we can't be a church that's devoted to sound teaching and ignore being unified as a family. We can't be a church that focuses on being unified as a family but ignores prayer or Scripture. All of them go together. They must be constant in our own attention. The church doesn't determine its own priorities. Please hear that. The church doesn't determine its own priorities. The church doesn't operate on intuition, felt needs, or cultural trends. The church and its priorities are determined by the Word of God. One expression of a Spirit-filled church is a Word-saturated church. The Spirit of God does not, does not guide us apart from the Word. The Spirit of God guides us through the Word. This is why First Baptist Belton prioritizes the Bible. We don't want to disregard anything. The Scripture says the devotion to the apostles' teaching is key because it shows they were people of the Word. They feasted on and followed God's Word. It was something done in formal settings, like attending the temple together, and in informal settings, like gathering in their homes. Their time together, one of the expressions was they were centered around the apostles' teachings, around the Word. Now, we have the apostles' teachings and more now bound together in our Bibles. And so we as a church must take time, corporately, in small groups, and individually, and as a family, to read it, to study it, to memorize it, and to follow it. We must make it a part of all of us. As we think about and consider calling a new pastor, it's not just the pastor's job to prioritize the Bible in the church. Most definitely it is a big part of his job to to study God's Word and to deliver messages so that he can feed the flock. Absolutely. But it's not just his job. The whole church, the whole assembly must devote themselves to the Word. And follow the word. I love what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said in regard to prioritizing the Bible. He wrote this. Oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the word of God and get that word into ourselves. As I've seen the silkworm eat into the leaf and consume it, so ought we to do with the word of the Lord, not crawl over its surface but eat right into it till we have taken it into our inmost parts. It is idle merely to let the eye glance over the words or to recollect the poetical expressions or the historical facts, but it is blessed to eat into the very soul of the Bible until, at last, you come to talk in scriptural language, 
Your very style is fashioned upon scriptural models. And what, and what is better still, your spirit is flavored with the very words of the Lord. You see, whenever the word is not something a church desires or is not something it wants to be part of their fellowship, the question has to be asked with all seriousness, why? There's a lot of church growth books that exclude the word. There's a lot of churches growing with numbers upon numbers and the word is absent in their church. I would rather be a small numbered church that's focused on the word of God than a very large church filled with people that disregards the word of God. The spirit of God compels the people of God to be to devote themselves to the word of God. If our church, if we First Baptist Belton are to survive trials, temptations, divisions, oppositions, discouragements it will be in large part because the bible is known and treasured among us all if we're to be a church that's vibrant healthy growing filled with hope for the future committed to god's mission in the world it will be because god is regularly meeting with us and powerfully changing us through his word Very simply, we need the Word of God. We need this. We must be a Bible-centered church filled with Bible-centered people. A a Spirit-filled church that prioritizes the Word of God and obeys the Word of God. So the first thing that we see is the church expresses The church expresses devotion to the apostles' teaching. Secondly, what I want you to see here, the church expresses glad dependence on God. The church expresses glad dependence on God. Now, as as the Spirit works, as they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and obey the Word, it produces these other expressions. One of those is glad dependence on God. Look back at your copy of Scripture. In verse 42, you see that they devoted themselves to the prayers. They devoted themselves to the prayers. So one of the main activities, one of the main expressions of the church as they submitted to the Spirit and obeyed the apostles' teachings was that they were a praying people. They were a praying people. You would find formal times of prayer and spontaneous prayers. But prayer characterized all of life in the early church. You don't read a lot of that in church growth books. You don't see that. Numbers tell us, oh, have a prayer gathering. Right? And the masses will show up. Nope. Very few do. The early church prayed together and and prayer was constant in their life. Now, in the broader culture and in our churches, we prioritize a few things. 
more than prayer. We prioritize intellect. We prioritize competency. We prioritize wealth. And the result of that is because we can do life without God, prayer seems nice but unnecessary. We trust in ourselves, in our own talents, in our own bank accounts, in what we can rationalize and understand. And this makes us structurally independent of God. Prayer, as you know, is when we express our dependence on God. A healthy church is a praying church because a praying church realizes that it's a needy church. We're needy. We need God. And we need to pray. We're nothing without God. We can accomplish nothing for His glory without prayer. A needy heart is a praying heart. Dependency is the heartbeat of prayer. I was looking back at, uh, I read a, I read a book on, on prayer. Um, it's been, been over 10 years ago and I was looking back because I journaled, uh, through this book because I was trying to, trying to just become a more disciplined in prayer. And I look back in that journal and here's one thing I wrote that I think is not just true of myself, but might be true of us as a church. I wrote this. My lack of prayer, my lack of prayer reveals how dependent I am on me. My lack of prayer, your lack of prayer, our lack of prayer reveals how dependent we are on our own selves, on our own intellect, our own competency, our own wealth, whatever it may be. Now, I want you to see something else that characterizes their dependence, their glad, with their dependence on Him. In verse 46, look at your copy of Scripture. Not only did they pray, but they, div- they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, and they were praising God. So not only it, as the Spirit works within them and as they abide by and focus on the word of God, the apostles teachings, it expressed one of their expressions was prayer, but it was also receiving their food with glad and generous hearts and praising God. Here's what I want you to notice. The spirit produces gladness and praise in the church. Maybe another way to say it, a praying church becomes a praising church because they know the giver of it all gets the glory. So prayer trains our eyes to see God at work. And the apostles' teachings tunes their heart to rejoice in His generosity toward them. Isn't this what Paul tells us in Scripture? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it. Rejoice. When you're in the Lord, when you're in the Lord, there's so much to rejoice in. Think about it. Your worst day is behind you because Christ took your place in it. That's good news. Your worst day is behind you because Christ took your place 
in it. Anything you now suffer is only preparing you for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, that's not to say that the church doesn't mourn. It's not to say that do we minimize pain that we feel, but it does bring it into perspective with all that God has given us. Let me say it this way. We must be very careful not to become a church filled with killjoys and eors. Right? There, there's too much good news and too much glory in Christ to become that way. We have so much to be joyful about. So let me ask a few questions. And this isn't for your neighbor, this is for you. Is the gladness you have in Christ, is it contagious? Are, are you dependent on God in prayer? Do you rejoice, express joy in your life because of who Christ is? The early church expressed glad dependence on God through prayer, receiving their food with thanksgiving and glad hearts. And they praised God. Thirdly, as they submitted to the Spirit and the Word and followed the apostles' teaching, the church expressed fellowship and generosity. The church expressed fellowship and generosity. Luke adds in verse 42, if you see, look at your copy of Scripture, it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now the word behind fellowship means to share in something with someone. It moves beyond the mere relationship to what holds the relationship together. So when the New Testament uses this word, it's talking about what is shared in Christ through the Spirit. You remember two weeks ago, we talked about 1 Corinthians. That all of us are joined into the body of Christ in the same way, right? By faith in Christ alone, and once you do that, God gives His Spirit within you. So all of us came into the fellowship in the same way. We're in one body as the Scripture says, with one Spirit. The Spirit that is within you is the same Spirit that is within me. This is what it means by they devoted themselves to the fellowship. It wasn't just the relationship, but it was what unified the relationship. In verse 44, he says, and all who believed were together. It was noticeable to the public that these people were devoted to one another. They loved one another. They were unified together. They were, they were joined together. It's not that all 3,000 were always together in one place. The stress is on their togetherness in every place. Their bond was noticeable. People who wouldn't have been together before were now together in Christ. The church as a whole, this is why this relate, how this relates to us. The church as a whole needs to redouble efforts 
in inviting new people in or chasing after those who are on the fringes. Here's why I say this. Fellowship is a matter of the heart and our commitment reveals our values. If we're going to be a people that say we really value people, others, and we want to invite them and we want them to be a part of the fellowship, then we need to all be a part of inviting them. We need to all be a part of joining together to engage with people, to invite them into the body. Because when the Spirit changes our hearts, we value what Christ values. We value people. We value one another. We value those who Christ laid down His life for. We value those that He served. We value those that He died for. And we want to be with them. We want to unite with them and join alongside them and invite them into the fellowship. Now, as we think about fellowship and community, community itself isn't unique to Christianity, right? Think about all the things where people are seeking community. People seek community in sports, their favorite college team, art, literature, hunting, movies, service projects, various religious pursuits. You can name it. The list goes on and on and on. The world is looking for something more. We were created for more. And so the world grasps for fellowship, community, anywhere and anyone that they can. They long for, you long for, community, fellowship. The problem is that any community that doesn't have Christ at the center will eventually fail and prove empty. What distinguishes Christian community is that the is is that the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection form the center and foundation of it. True fellowship is only possible, true community is only possible through Christ. As we, as we surrender to Christ as Lord, He gives us our, His Spirit within us, then we have community with one another. Jesus now lives in His people and compels us to love one another as He loved. So the Spirit not only creates the alternative to individualism, He makes provision for loneliness by giving us God and giving us one another. People within the church should not walk alone. People within the church should not be alone. Now, I want to commend you. This is my almost 15 years here. I've seen the church respond to people, to help people, to come alongside one another. So I think we do a great job in this, but let's continue to get better at it. Let's get better. Let's not just depend on the next pastor to come and fill the pews. No, let's, let's work to invite, to share, to bring people in, and to be a body together be a community now i want you to see within the text here two tangible ways true christian fellowship expresses itself here's the two ways that their 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 fellowship their community together expresses itself the first one is hospitality look at verse 42 
It says the breaking of bread. Then again in verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. So one of the ways that their fellowship, their community with one another expressed itself was that they ate together in each other's homes. Hospitality was a pattern. Hospitality is commanded from us in Scripture. Romans chapter 12, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. One of the great ways to show hospitality, and in the early church teaches us this, is to fellowship around the table. Baptists do that well. Right? To fellowship around the table. Table fellowship is some of the closest fellowship. Eating together. Inviting people into your home. Going out to eat with one another. Having glad hearts for all that God has given us. Fellowshipping together around the table is biblical. It's a good thing. But here's what I want to point out to you. Who we're willing to invite into our homes and share a meal with shows how well we understand the gospel of grace. How we are hospitable toward one another reveals how much we understand the gospel. I want to challenge us as a church. We need to learn that home is a hub for ministry to one another. It's one of the most intimate of settings. And home is a place to minister and to be hospitable toward one another. It is not a place to avoid one another. Hospitality is about opening up our lives to others and inviting them and saying you're welcome here because what Christ has done for me I welcome you into my home our homes need to be a hub for ministry not a place to avoid people so we need to be a church that shows hospitality to others here's the other way Here's the other way that their fellowship together expressed itself. It not only expressed itself in hospitality, but it expressed itself in meeting needs. In meeting needs. You can see this in verse 44 and 45. Look at what is written here. And all who believed, verse 44, were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now you might be sitting there, oh no, he's about to talk about money. Yes, I am. Because a healthy, vibrant church is a generous church. Is a church that doesn't hold tightly to their possessions. That's what we see in the early church here. Part of fellowship and community is learning needs and meeting them. Healthy churches strive to meet the needs of one another. You can see there that those who had possessions that could meet a need, they didn't hold them with a tight fist. They didn't wait around to see if someone else in the church was going to meet that need. 
No, they looked at their own possessions and said, you know what, I don't need that. I'm going to sell it so that I can take the proceeds and help my brother or sister in need. They held their possessions as belongings also to those in need, not to just meet their own needs. So let me ask a personal question. Is that how you view your bank account and budget and all your toys? Name any number of things you have. Could you hold them in common, treating all of them as what might be useful to meet someone's else's needs in the church. Is that how you view your money? The point is, our abundance at any particular time shouldn't mean higher living for ourselves while needs persist and are unmet within the church. You don't see that in the early church. You see them actually getting rid of their abundance so that they can meet needs. If that's the case, we misunderstand our wealth, resources, and the gospel. If we see that our abundance, our money, is only for us to have a higher living, we misunderstand it. We have a distorted view of wealth. You have a distorted view of the gospel. The Spirit's work leads us, led the early church to repent from idolizing the things of this world to loving other thing, others with the things of this world. An inward-focused life is not a Christ-exalting life. If all we are is a church that focuses on ourselves and what we have while others within the body are in need, we're not living a Christ-exalting life. You can tell whether the Spirit is absent or present in a church by the way people treat their money and their stuff. Our possessions, all that we have is God's and their resources God uses to serve others in need and advance the gospel. Again, like I I mentioned on prayer, um, about four or five years ago, I was reading a book um, about money and possessions and the gospel and giving and all that kind of stuff, um, and really just looking within my own heart and asking where, um, where most of my money goes, my family. And here's four things I want you to consider when it comes to your money, possession, and meeting needs, okay? These are four things that I had written down when I had read that book, and I want you to consider these as we think about the early church and meeting needs. Number one, when you tithe, when you tithe, you're not giving to the church. Give to God to honor Him through the church. Give to God, and God uses the church to bring glory and honor to Him. You're not giving to the church. You're giving to God. And when you don't give, you're not robbing the church. You're robbing God. Give to God, 
And God uses the church to accomplish His purposes. Number two, as you think about giving and serving, sacrifice should be consistently applied to your giving and service. Sacrifice should be consistently applied to your giving and serving. Where, where do I get that? You look at the early church. They got rid of their own possessions. They sacrificed to meet the needs of others within the body. Oh, but I really like that. I don't, I don't want to get rid of that one. I guess maybe somebody, hopefully somebody else will take care of them. No, they sacrificed. The third thing, liberal generosity. Liberal generosity is a mark of a Christian. Liberal generosity is a mark of a follower of Christ. And fourthly, put on your thinking cap here. Generous giving, generosity, generous giving is marked by how much you keep, not by how much you give. Think about it. Can you really call yourself generous if there really was no sacrifice? Can you really call yourself generous if you keep so much but give very little? Generosity, generous giving is marked by how much you keep, not how much you give. Money and possessions are a gauge that expose our heart like very few things can. The early church expressed itself. This community, this fellowship, it expressed one of their expressions as they submitted to the Spirit and to the apostles' teachings was not only prayer and praise and hospitality, but they were generous. They gave not only of themselves, but of what they owned. So church, let's draw near to no needs. But let's also make plans to meet needs. Finally, here's what I want you to see. The last thing, the church has great impact in the world. The church has great impact in the world. Now I started by talking about church growth books, right? Do this and your church will grow. Focus on this and your church will grow. Get a great preacher, church will grow. But if you look within the, your copy of Scripture here in Acts chapter 2, as the Spirit worked within these people and they submitted to His Spirit, as they focused on the apostles' teaching and obeyed His Word, as they prayed and practiced praise, as they were united together in one spirit and they were bond together their fellowship was together they met together they ate together they gave toward one another they were generous to meet needs look at what happens verse 43 and all came upon every soul verse 47 having favor with toward all the people. Look at it. And the Lord, that's where church growth comes from in the first place. And the Lord 
added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Day by day. And you know what? They didn't get tired of it, right? They were like, what? Look at what the Lord's doing. And here's what that did. Well, what do we need to do? Well, let's continue to submit to the Spirit. Focus on the apostles' teaching. Pray, praise, fellowship together. Be generous towards one another. Let's see what the Lord does with it. What did He do? Added to their number day by day. The Spirit and the Word working inside the church had a missional impact outside the church. So part of Luke's point is, is to show that Christianity is a positive influence on society when operating as the Spirit of God directs. Not in our own intuition. Not in our own money. Not in what we can conceive or think. But how the Spirit of God directs. The church itself in our text, became a living theater that verified the Spirit's work and that Christ is real. It made others ask about this Jesus whom they served and called Lord. And then the church would share the gospel, and as it says, the Lord added to their number. The local church, its attractive community, is one of the Lord's evangelism methods. As we love one another... As we serve one another, as we care for one another, the Lord uses this. We've, I've quoted this scripture throughout this whole series. John 13 and John 17. Jesus says that when His disciples love one another as He loved them, the world would know that they belong to Him. That the Father had in fact sent His Son, Jesus. When we live in such a way that others can't help but ask the hope within us, We proclaim Christ as our only hope. We share the gospel. It's the Lord who adds to the church. It's the Lord who calls. It's the Lord who saves. But He uses the church. He uses us to accomplish His purposes. And I can't think of anything better to be a part of than that. To be a part of His body. To reach the nations. So let me ask a few questions and then we're done. Is our community is our community attractive? Are we being salt and light? I'm not asking if we're busy. I'm not asking if you're volunteering everywhere. I'm asking it when others see us together. When others see us as a church, does it attract them to Jesus? What kind of impact can we have in the world if we're more like this in Acts 2? The same Spirit at work in Acts 2 is the same Spirit at work within us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? 
It's the same Spirit. The Spirit of God is not changed. And if we submit ourselves to Him, obey His Word, have glad dependence upon Him, live generously in fellowship within the church, the impact will be great. I pray for the Spirit to do more of that through this church in the days ahead. The Lord has began a good work. May He bring it to completion for the day of Jesus Christ. Let's be that kind of church together. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank You for our time together in Your Word this morning. God, I pray, I I desire, I want, I want to be a church that focuses on the right things. I want to be a people collectively unified behind what God, what you, God, are seeking, what you, God, desire. Lord, as as I studied this, it amazed me. And I know times have changed and I know churches function differently and I I understand all of that. But but God, that church was experienced great growth not because of ministry, buildings, but because of what all of them together were focused on. Oh God, make us First Baptist Belt in that kind of church. God, I thank you for your work that you've done for 168 years at First Baptist Belton. And I pray that by your Spirit, you would do more. We know that you're our only hope. We know that you're our only way to make this happen. And so God, help us to submit to your Spirit within us, to focus on the Word and to obey the Word, to be people of prayer and praise united together in fellowship that are hospitable toward one another and those in the community and are generous. And God, may we see in the days ahead that you've added to our number your kingdom day by day. It's in your wonderful name we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand together, sing our song of invitation. I'm here at the front. We have other pastors available to talk and to pray with you. And let's respond as the Spirit leads us this morning. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.